all you have. You are now tuned in to Hawkins Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darnetta has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, fellow Star Wars geeks? Just another wonderful day in the Star Wars universe. Or maybe the rest of the universe, but not for our planet. I wish I had the power to help everyone see that all this fighting needs to stop. We already have the coronavirus, and now a race war is about to begin. It's just crazy. But we still have Star Wars for the time being, and I can't wait to see what is coming up next. And from all the rumors floating around with what is going on with the Mandalorian, I'm so excited. Oh, before I forget, I would like to remind everyone of the Galaxy's Edge giveaway. If you want to know how to enter, go back and listen to the mid-series roll. I explain everything on that episode. Now, I got a question for everyone. We are getting closer to the end of this book, and I want to get your guys' ideas on what book we should do next. Email me and let me know your thoughts. Okay, let's get to the quote of this episode, and it comes from Marshall McCollin, and he says, there's no passengers on the spaceship Earth. We are all the crew. This just jumped out at me. When I think about Star Wars, the first thing that I think about is the Force, lightsabers, Jedi, Sith, good versus evil, you know, all that good stuff. But then something else always pops in my mind. All the different species of life that they have in their universe and i am one of those people that believe that there is life outside of this world come on the universe is just too big for us to be alone and i think we've been visited by aliens but why haven't they contacted us because we can't even get along with each other think about it if you were an alien would you want to talk to us we are fighting with each other over the color of our skins how do you think we would treat someone of a totally different species discrimination is something that has been tolerated for far too long like the quote says we are all the crew of this ship called earth but if the crew is not together then the ship will have no direction we must not let our differences divide us we are much better than that if you think about it we are all different in our own ways there's no two people on this earth that are exactly the same some of us might look the same but no two people think exactly the same that's what makes us individuals and that's what makes this world great okay enough with all that we have a chapter to go over so let's get to it scourge knew he had to act quickly with long, rapid strides, he marched from the cave to the waiting speeder and took to the air, heading back to Koss City. He'd promised the Jedi he would return to the cave within one day, but that wasn't his biggest concern. Setchel had set up a meeting and maneuvered Scourge into taking Murtaugh with him. No doubt he was eagerly awaiting for the security chief's report on what happened. He had to find Setchel and deal with him before the advisor became suspicious. Setchel would most likely be at the Nexus Room, enjoying a selection of fine wines while waiting for Murtaugh to call in. As a Sith Lord, Scourge had access to the facility, but he didn't want to confront Setchel in a public setting. He brought his speeder in for a landing a block away from the club, jumped out, and walked to the building. The slave on duty greeted him as he entered the lobby. Welcome, my lord, the young human said, bowing low. I have a message for Setchel. Scourge told him. Of course, my lord. Follow me. As the slave turned to enter the club, Scourge reached out a hand and grabbed him by the shoulder. I did not say I wished to speak with him, he hissed. I said I had a message. Forgive me, master, the slave stammered, obviously terrified. Please, tell me what you wish me to do. Wait until I leave. Scourge explained slowly, as if he were talking to a simpleton. Then tell Setchel that Murtaugh needs to meet him. He'll know where. He stared down at the slave. Do you understand? The slave nodded, his eyes wide with fear. 
Do not tell him I was here, Sturge instructed. Do not mention me at all. Simply deliver the message. If you fail me, I will have them flay the flesh from your bones. They both knew it was not an idle threat. By right, Scourge could inflict any punishment he chose on a disobedient slave. Of course, the young man would also be punished if anyone discovered he had lied to a member of the club. But Scourge had far more important things to worry about than the fate of an insignificant slave. The young man stood, still and silent, knowing anything he said could only make things worse. Scourge turned and left the club. Once outside, he ducked around a nearby corner where he could watch the door. Setchel emerged a few minutes later and made his way quickly down the street. He didn't appear to be particularly worried or cautious. He had been expecting to hear from Murtaugh, so he had no reason to be suspicious. Scourge followed him at a safe distance, careful not to draw attention to himself. Setchel didn't head back to Nyrus's stronghold, as Scourge expected he had a private location where he could conduct business he didn't want others to know about. He continued for several blocks, then stopped at a small two-story apartment building in one of Cost City's residential districts. He punched in the security code to unlock the door and slipped inside. Scourge waited a few seconds, then approached the building. Glancing around to make sure there were no witnesses, he pulled out his lightsaber and ignited the blade, jamming it to the security panel. The lock sparked and sizzled, the circuits frying in an instant. A second later, the door slid open. As he'd suspected, the panel had been programmed to open the door if it malfunctioned, so the residents wouldn't be locked in or out of the apartment complex. The interior was little more than a hall giving access to the various apartments. There were four doors on the lower level, but Scourge ignored them. Setchel would never lower himself to rent a ground floor unit. There was no turbo lift, but in the back of the building there was a staircase leading up to the second level. Scourge made his way up. The suites on the top floor were obviously larger. Instead of four doors, there were only two. Scourge picked one of the doors at random and pressed the buzzer. He waited for nearly a minute, but there was no reply. Either the unit wasn't occupied or the resident was not at home. He tried the buzzer on the other door. A few seconds later, he heard footsteps approaching. Then the door slid open. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. From Setchel's expression, it was clear he was caught off guard at finding Scourge instead of Murtaugh waiting for him on the other side. Before he could react, Scourge jabbed out with his hand, driving his fingers into Setchel's throat. The other Sith dropped to his knees, gasping for air. 
Scourge stepped inside the apartment and closed the door behind him. Satchel struggled to speak, but all that came out was a rasping cough. Make any sound louder than a whisper, and your life will end in unbearable agony, Scourge warned him. The advisor held up his hand and nodded to show he understood. Scourge waited patiently for him to catch his breath. After a few minutes, Setchell had the strength to stand up. He brushed his clothes off, trying to compose himself. <laughs> Where is Murtog? He eventually asked, keeping his voice low. Dead, Scourge replied. Setchell's eyes flickered wide for an instant, but otherwise he showed no reaction. It seems I underestimated this woman, he said, his tone not in the least bit apologetic. I assume since you survived that she now shares Murtaugh's fate? How much did Nyrus know about the meeting? Scourge demanded, ignoring Setchel's question. Nothing. You didn't mention it to her? Setchel sniffed indignantly. <laughs> you have an overly high opinion of yourself if you think Nyrus cares about some anonymous female from your past. This is beneath her notice. Scourge nodded. Setchel guarded his cards closely. He wouldn't mention anything to Nyrus until he had decided how best to turn the situation to his advantage. What about Murtaugh? Scourge asked. Would he say anything? Would he tell Nyrus where he was going? She doesn't keep tabs on us like children, Setchel sneered. How long until she begins to miss him? Scourge asked. You mean, how long until she finds out you got him killed? Setchel mocked. I'd say you have another three days before she begins to wonder about his absence. Three days, Scourge muttered. We'll have to move fast. What are you talking about? Setchel had obviously sensed Scourge's urgency. He must have assumed something had gone very, very wrong at the meeting. He thought Scourge was in trouble. He wrongly believed the Sith Lord had come here looking for help, and it was making him arrogant. Scourge decided it was time to clarify the situation. I want your files. What files? The ones implicating Nyrus and the other Dark Council members. I want everything you've gathered that could be used to expose them as traitors. Okay, here comes clue number two. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1! Never tell me the odds. To his credit, Setchel didn't deny the files existed. It would have been a pointless endeavor. Scourge knew him too well. The advisor was loyal to Nyrus, but his primary concern would always be for himself. If things ever went bad, he would need something to bargain with. And what better bargaining chip than detailed records of everything Nyrus and her co-conspirators had been involved in ever since they'd started plotting against the Emperor? You're crossing a dangerous line, Setchel warned. Nyrus has turned a blind eye to my collection. I'm too valuable for her to cast me aside. You, however, are expendable. If she finds out about this, she'll have your head. Nyrus is not your concern. I am. Give me the files. I won't ask again. Setchel knew the length Scourge was willing to go in pursuit of information. The scars on his cheek reminded him every time he looked in a mirror. And this time, he couldn't count on a timely interruption to put an end to the torture. Wait here, he said, 
turning and heading into the apartment. Scourge, who had no intention of letting Setchell out of his sight, followed right behind him. Setchell glanced back and sighed in resignation. He made his way to a small closet in the back of the apartment and slid the door open. At first glance, the closet appeared empty. Setchell dropped to one knee and slid back a small hidden panel on the floor, revealing a security keypad. With Scourge watching closely over his shoulder, he punched in the access code. A panel in the back wall of the closet slid aside, revealing a hidden safe. Setchell punched another code into the keypad, and the door opened with an audible click. Slowly, Scourge warned. There's a blaster inside, Setchell confessed. But I have no intention of trying to use it against you. A wise decision. Setchell pulled gently on the corner of the safe's door, allowing it to swing wide and reveal the contents. As he had said, there was a small holdout blaster inside. There were also several data disks, each labeled with a date and arranged in chronological order. Is this everything? Scourge demanded. It's all here, Setchell assured him. But it's encrypted. If anything happens to me, the data is useless. I'm the only one who can decode it. Scourge had no way to tell if Setchell was bluffing, but he was willing to take the risk. I'm sure I can find a slicer somewhere who's up to the challenge, he said, stepping in close behind him. He brought his left arm up and under Setchell's chin, the forearm pressing hard on his windpipe. At the same time, his right hand reached around and gripped the top of Setchell's head. Setchell had become a liability. Scourge couldn't leave him behind, and taking him with him was far more trouble than it was worth. The smaller Sith struggled to break the hold as Scourge began to apply pressure to the vertebrae in his neck. There were literally hundreds of ways he could have killed Setchell, but given their history, he wanted their final moments to be up close and personal. Setchell tried to kick him, but Scourge had positioned himself so that the flailing foot of the other Sith only struck feebly against his thigh. He took a deep breath, braced his left arm, and yanked hard with his right hand. There was a surprisingly loud pop, and Setchell's body spasmed once before going completely limp. Releasing the grip to let the body slump to the floor, Scourge gathered up the data disks and left the apartment the door automatically sliding shut behind him. So this chapter starts off with Scourge knowing he must move quickly before Naira starts asking questions. He heads to the Nexus room in search of Setchel. He tells the slave at the door to give Setchel a message. Tell Setchel Murtaugh needs to meet him. He knows that Setchel will go to their meeting place. Then he lies in wait watching until Setchel leaves the Nexus room. Then he follows him to an apartment a few blocks away. Scourge uses his lightsaber to cut through the lock opening the security door of said apartments. He goes upstairs and rings the bell of one of the two doors. No one comes to the door. Then Scourge tries the next door. Maybe Scourge ain't as stupid as he sounds sometimes. At least he understands the process of elimination. After a few minutes, the door slides open to reveal Setchel standing there. Scourge quickly jabs Setchel in the throat. That would suck. You open the door and then someone hits you in the throat? Ouch. Scourge tells Setchel to be quiet. He can't talk, you just hit him in the throat. But Setchel nods his head in an agreement. 
After Scepter retains his ability to talk, Scourge starts asking him questions. Scourge is trying to find out how much Nyrus knows about his meeting with Mitra and how long before she realized Murtaugh is gone. Scepter is like, what happened to Murtaugh? Scourge tells him that Murtaugh is dead. Scepter, with his conceited self, thinks that Scourge is in trouble and needs his help. Scourge doesn't like this attitude from Cetro. He tells Cetro that he wants all the information about the plot to overthrow the Emperor. Cetro, knowing that Nyrus is not there to help him this time, goes to the closet in the back of the apartment, opens the door, and slides a panel back revealing a safe. As he starts to open it, Scourge is like, hey, nice and slow. Cetro confesses that there's a blaster in the safe, but tells Scourge that he has no plans on using it. After handing the disc to Scourge, Cetro goes to shut the safe. This is when Scourge wraps his arm around Cetro's neck. Cetro tries to escape, but he is no match for Scourge. Best Cetro wishes he uses that blaster now. This is where Scourge breaks Cetro's neck. I think Scourge likes taking people down without using the Force, because he does it a lot. But that's where we're at. Let's see what else happens in this chapter. Mitra sat still and silent on the floor of the cave. Her legs crossed and her hands held at chest height, palms facing each other. She had opened herself up to the Force, looking for guidance and wisdom. But here on Drummond Koss, where the dark side prevailed, it was difficult to find the inner tranquility necessary for enlightenment. Having T3 running long, nervous circles around her certainly didn't help. But she was afraid if she told him to stay still, he might have a meltdown. And she understood the droid's anxiety. She still wasn't sure what to make of Lord Scourge. She had sensed that his offer to work together was sincere, though she wondered how much of that was Revan's doing. It was easy to understand how Scourge could be drawn to him. Revan's command of the Force was greater than that of anyone else she had ever met, and she knew how charismatic he could be. Even though he was a prisoner, it wasn't hard to imagine him being in total control of the situation. But if he had recruited Scourge as an ally, it had been out of necessity rather than choice. The Sith was wholly consumed by the dark side. He had no respect for life, no desire to serve any needs but his own. Even if what he said about wanting to stop the Emperor was true, his motivations were survival and self-preservation. She didn't trust him. But if he could prove that he and Revan were on the same side, she would work with him. The risk of betrayal was one she was willing to take if it gave her a chance to rescue her friend. The little droid was passing by her on one of his many, many laps when she heard the sound of a speeder approaching. T3 stopped and dimmed his light, casting the cave in shadow once more. I told you he'd come back, Mitra said. He's alone, she added, before T3 could ask the obvious question. She scrambled to her feet as Lord Scourge marched confidently into the cave, ready to respond at the first hint of aggression. I have what you need, he said holding up several data disks. This will prove what I said about trying to stop the Emperor. You will see that we are on the same side. Scourge stepped forward and extended his hand, offering her the disks. She hesitated for only a moment before coming close enough to take them from his grasp. She returned to T3, carefully retracing her steps so as not to turn her back on the red-skinned Sith. We'll need time to look these over, she said. They might be encrypted, Scourge told her. I've never come across a code my friend here couldn't crack, she said, and T3 beeped his agreement. I suspected as much. How long do you think it will take? Why? Are you in a rush? Events have been set in motion, he explained. We have two, maybe three days before the window of opportunity closes. 
Work fast, T3, she said. She looked up at Scourge. We'd be more comfortable if you weren't hovering over us. I will return in three hours, he said. Alone, of course. It took only half the time for T3 to decrypt and verify the authenticity of the data. As promised, it confirmed what the Sith had said. He really was plotting to overthrow the Emperor. However, it wasn't just Scourge. Several members of the Dark Council, the Emperor's circle of hand-picked advisors, had joined together in a conspiracy to remove him from the throne. Yet after more than a decade, they had made no real progress. Instead, the Discs catalogued a litany of power plays and double-crosses among the various leaders of the conspiracy. They spent so much time plotting against one another that the idea of them actually working together to defeat the Emperor seemed ludicrous. No wonder he's willing to work with Revan, Mitra muttered. He's just sick of waiting. By the time Scourge returned, she had made her decision. I believe you, she said. I'm ready to work together. Does this mean you'll tell me your name? The Sith asked. I'm Mitra, and this is T3M4. The droid let out a shrill chirp. What's he saying? Scourge asked. He says it's time for you to take us to see Revan. The situation has changed. That isn't an option any longer. Why not? He's being held by a Sith Lord called Nyris. She's on the Dark Council, Mitra said, recalling the name from the data disks. She's the one who brought you into the conspiracy. Scourge nodded. If she's holding Revan, why can't you take us to him? When I first made the offer, I was hoping Revan could convince you that we should work together, Scourge explained. Going to see him now would only be an unnecessary risk. I don't understand. I could probably get you in to see him, but that won't help get him out of his cell, and it might raise suspicion. Just take me to him, Mitra insisted. Leave the escape to me. You can't fight your way through Nyrus's entire army of followers, Scourge said. Even with my help, she has hundreds of guards and dozens of acolytes trained in the dark side. If we're going to break Revan out, we need a distraction. Something to draw the attention of the guards away while we sneak in. I assume you have a plan. I do, Scourge said, smiling. I'm going to get the Emperor to help us. So Mitra and T3 are just chilling in this cave waiting on Scourge to return. Mitra tries to use the force to meditate, but with the dark side being so strong on Dromakas, she has trouble staying focused. And it doesn't help that T3 is nervously rolling in circles. Okay, Star Wars is the only movie that I could think of where droids have emotion. He's a robot. How is he nervous? I just don't get it. But finally, Scourge returns with the proof that he needs to convince Mitra to work with him. He hands her the data disk. Scourge tells her that they might be encrypted. Mitra says T3 can decrypt anything. Then Mitra tells Scourge that she believes him and she will work with him. This is one of those places that if I was Scourge, I would be asking questions. He just handed her the disk. There's no way that T3 had time to get any information off of them. But that's just my thoughts. Then Scourge asked Mitra if she would tell him what her name was. What's up with the Sith and Jedi not telling each other their name? Is this supposed to be intimidating or something? She concedes and tells him. Then T3 beefs something. Scourge asks Mitra what he said. Mitra tells him that he said, now take us to Revan. Scourge tells him that that's not an option anymore. When Mitra asks why, he tells Mitra that Revan is being held by Darth Nyrus. 
Mitra says she is one of the members of the Dark Council and part of the conspiracy. Why won't she help them? Okay, first off, how does Mitra know that? Like I said earlier, T3 just got the disc. He hasn't had time to decipher them yet. And I don't remember any time the Scourge told her about Nyrus. So how does she know about it? But Scourge is like it is an unnecessary risk because he doesn't know how Nyrus will react and he isn't ready to take on Nyrus and the Emperor. So Mitra asks Scourge how are they going to get Revan out. Scourge tells her he is going to get the Emperor to help them. Now I don't know what the heck Scourge is thinking. The Emperor doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to help someone that is going to try to kill him. I don't know what Scourge's plans are, but you will have to tune in the next chapter to find out. Hope to see you then. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.